Hey, hey, church home. Happy Sunday. Thank you for joining us. Um, it is so significant and so important to me personally and to our community that you're taking time out of your Sunday to worship with us. I am in a new space, another space, a uh, home space here and just trying this out. So a little different look, a little different feel, but here we are, church home, church in your home, church like a home, from my home to yours. Here we are, um, and I am really excited to continue a collection of sermons and talks we're doing called Jesus On. Jesus On a number of different subjects, and today we're talking about Jesus On Sin. Jesus On Sin. Much has been made of this word and this all-important reality in humanity and the human experience. What does Jesus have to say on sin? By no means will this be an exhaustive sermon or an exhaustive study in all of scripture on the definition of sin and the meaning of sin and the likes. But we will go to one story today where we find Jesus, um, well, asked vehemently uh, what he believes um, is sin and the law and what that looks like. So we're going to go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8 and verse 1. As we jump in, once again, thank you to everyone who is here for the very first time. Thank you. Uh, again, it's not a light or a little thing that you are with us. You're going to find out real quick. We're Jesus Church. We believe Jesus is the Savior of the world. Speaking of sin, he's the only one that can heal us, forgive us of our error, wrong, and sin because he has None. He is sinless and perfect. And we're going to talk about that specifically. John chapter 8, and starting with the verse 1, it says, Jesus walked up the Mount of Olives near the city where he spent the night. Then at dawn, Jesus appeared in the temple courts again, and soon all the people gathered around to listen to his words. So he sat down and taught them. Then in the middle of his teaching, so in the middle of his teaching, he's completely interrupted by religious scholars and the Pharisees. They broke through the crowd and brought us a particular woman who had been caught in the actual act of committing adultery, or in other words, sleeping with a man that is not her husband. They put her right in the middle of everybody at church, at the temple. And said to Jesus, teacher, we, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Doesn't Moses' law command us or the Torah, the first five books in what we call the Old Testament or the Bible itself? The Torah says that this woman should be stoned to death. Now tell us what you think we should do with her. And of course, they said this only to test Jesus in hopes to trap him with his own words and accuse him of breaking the law's of Moses. These men have no care nor concern for the life of this woman. They are only thinking about their own life and their own desires. Now, Jesus did not answer them, the Bible says. Instead, he simply bent down, wrote in the dust with his finger. Angry, they kept insisting that he answer their questions. So Jesus stood up, looked at them, and said, Let's have the man who has never had a sinful desire. Let's have the man who's never sinned throw the first stone at her. Then he bent over again, wrote some more words in the dust. Upon hearing this, her accusers slowly left the crowd one at a time, beginning with the oldest to the youngest with a convicted 
conscience until finally Jesus, alone with a woman. So he stood back up and said to her, dear woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? Looking around, she applied, she applied, she replied, I see no one, Lord. Jesus said, then certainly I don't condemn you either. Going from now on, be free from a life of sin. Be free from a life of sin. I'm going to say that one more time. Go now, Jesus says, and be free from a life of sin. Will you join me in prayer? Jesus on sin. That's our topic. God, I thank you for the minutes and moments we share as a community. Uh, what we need right now is you and an encounter with you. Help us to be accurate in the reading of your story. Help us to understand what you're saying and what you're doing, not only in these times of antiquity, but right now in 2020. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. As a nation here in the United States of America, for those watching all around the world, welcome to Church Home. We have incredible communities growing in places like Nigeria, in places like Singapore, in places like Nashville, Judah, that's not international, in places like London and beyond in South Africa. And so I'm greeting everyone, but allow me for a moment to speak from my current context. In the United States of America, we are in what I think is fair to say a revolution. We are addressing for those in the church the reality of racism and the implications of racism in our country, which has overtly existed and has been systematized in our country for hundreds of years. Racism simply is a sin. Now, what constitutes a sin, of course, is a standard set, not by man, not by governing bodies, not by forefathers, not by historical figures, but a standard set by the creator of heaven and earth, the one who spoke the universe, the stars, the continents, the planets into existence. He has a standard. And when we miss that standard, it is called sin. Sin is to miss the standard set by God or to miss the mark set by God. Now, as much as I'd like to move that mark or adjust that mark or redefine that mark, that would be nothing short of playing God. That mark has, in fact, been set by God, a standard set by God that Frankly, according to the Old Testament, there were more than 600 standards or marks or rules or laws that no one could keep. The message of Jesus is that he came and became sin. He put on skin and bone, lived here for approximately 33 some years, yet without sin, he became sin. He became our heir and our wrong. And by simply believing in his once and for all sacrifice for humanity, we in fact can be forgiven and be reconnected with our creator. Now, over the course of centuries, frankly, 
thousands of years, some 2,000 years since the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, much has been made of this topic and human reality called sin. What is Jesus' take on sin? In fact, I had a conversation with a pastor today where we talked about the preaching of sin or the focus on sin. It is, in fact, relevant and important, but even in our own conversation today, we uncovered something that's very valuable and important. That is when you focus on sin, when the sermon is on sin in and of itself, it can very much be self-defeating. By focusing on sin and removing sin and eradicating sin and being passionate about sin and calling out sin, oftentimes we think even more about ourselves. We become consumed with our performance. We become consumed with ourselves. And so the cycle persists, right? Being obsessive in our sin, we find very little progress and freedom. Maybe momentary or for those who have the extraordinary willpower that I wish I had, that my wife has, um, maybe this is tantalizing of sorts and you feel like I'm going to work hard to overcome sin in my life. What would Jesus say about sin? If Jesus was approached with the gross sin of racism, what would he say? If Jesus was approached with other sins that not only hurt ourselves, but hurt others, what would be his commentary? What would be his statements? What would be his tone? What would be his approach? What would be his facial uh, expressions and features? And what would we see in his countenance? Now, a lot of people conclude today living on earth that for those that speak of Jesus and talk of Jesus, those who use this title called Christian, which is only used some two or three times in the entire New Testament when this concept of disciple is used almost 300 times. In other words, the emphasis of the New Testament is actually not the title of Christian. It's on the emphasis of simply following in the footsteps of Jesus, living, loving, and looking like him, which is our passion here at Church Home. Sin in and of itself, by obsessing over it, focusing on it, even a sin like racism, I think historically has proven there is not the progress we go into hoping for as we obsess over our own personal performance, successes, weaknesses, and shortcomings. So what would Jesus say? You know, I think the age-old question is if Jesus was preaching today, if Jesus was the sermon giver at church home today, and Jesus was talking about sin, what would he say? If only we had a book, if only we had a story that was accurate about Jesus, and we do. Here he is teaching. He's literally in the middle of a sermon, in the middle of teaching and expounding and uh, revealing and unveiling who he is and what he's doing with this whole new world order that he's ushering in. And he is interrupted. Can you imagine having the gall, nerve, and the audacity to interrupt Jesus? But he is. He's interrupted. He's interrupted with a group of men and one woman. This woman is probably not fully clothed. She's probably covering herself with a bedsheet or a blanket or whatever it might be. My imagination, they, 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 they caught her literally in the act of having sex with a man that's not her husband, which according to the Torah 
according to the teachings of Moses, inspired by God himself, that was, you guessed it, sin. And this particular sin, according to the Torah, was to be punished by death, specifically by the pulverizing of rocks to the skull that made the skull swell in such a way that a human being would essentially go into a coma and eventually die. It was gory, it was graphic, it was horrific. These men have come to church ready to crush the skull of a woman in sin. If that is not a revealer of our human condition and our human nature, I don't know what is. What will Jesus say? These men are, they seem to be very focused on sin. They seem to have categorized some sins worse than others because I know what you're thinking because I'm thinking it too. What about their sin? Great point and great question. Exactly. Well, clearly these men have decided that their sin is not as bad as her sin. Her sin is a sex act. Her sin is actually physical later or Actually, it probably was before this time. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 in one of the most famous sermons called Sermon on the Mountaintop, Jesus actually takes it a step further and says, the law says, the Torah says, Moses says, if you sleep with someone who's not, you're not married to, um, that is sin. But I say, but I say, Jesus says, if you look at a woman, if you look at a man and you lust after this person in your imagination and your heart, you have committed adultery or immorality crowd would have been stunned. Jesus on sin, he seems to heighten or intensify the standard. So what will that Jesus now say to this woman whose head is no doubt hanging low in utter and complete humiliation and shame, all intended by these religious leaders and men who are passionate about rules and regulations and traditions. They have come with every intention of killing this woman. Later in the text, we discover they actually already had rocks in their hands. What will they say? Is this not a sin? Are they wrong in their reading of the Torah? They are not. In fact, it was a sin. So what will Jesus say? Well, at first, he says nothing. As if to demonstrate for us what it looks like to live like him. Jesus is not quick to speak. He is not quick to pass judgment. He is not quick to throw rocks. And he, he says nothing. It literally says he he did not answer them. He did not answer them. And he bent down and wrote in the dust with his fingers. Now, he could have been fulfilling Jeremiah 17. He could be insinuating that the last time the finger of God uh, was on earth, so to speak, it was uh, forging what we call the Ten Commandments, or it was in the Genesis account, the finger of God was shaping and making man and woman. So maybe that's what it's speaking to. But let's continue on the story to see if together we can discover Jesus' take on sin. Is Jesus light on sin? Is Jesus overlook sin? Does Jesus give sin the wink and the gun? What is the focus of Jesus' 
on sin. It's his angry now. These men have become angry. These men have become indignant. These men are right in their reading of scripture, but they are wrong. Isn't it incredible? You can be right. In fact, you can be so right, you can be so wrong. They are angry. They are judgmental. They have created their own system of categorizing which sins are worse than others. And I might add together, we still suffer from the same religious practices. Are you like me? I feel like um, because the ramifications, implications, or the outcome of an act of sin is worse than others, then somehow maybe that sin is worse. And of course, if someone's error, wrong, selfishness, or sin is worse than yours, then you are better than them. This affects how we live in this life. Probably more than we realize, and maybe you're watching this and say, I don't believe in sin, but if we're really honest and we look at the landscape of life and human history and we look at hurt and pain and loss and offense and all of these things and unforgiveness, wars and rumors of wars, we, we, we inherently, innately know there is such a thing as wrong, as sin. We know that. Well, what will we do with it? I'd like to suggest there's a savior who wants to save you from your sin, save you from yourself, save you from your heir. What will Jesus say? Angry, they kept insisting that Jesus answered the question. And he said, let's have the man who has never sinned or even wanted to sin throw the first stone at her. And that was it. And that was it. And he went back to doodling in the dust. Do you see it? Do you see Jesus on sin? Do you see the focus of Jesus when it comes to sin? These men come to church prepared to say and point out who has sin, who has sin, who has sin. And, and, and obviously, Jesus says at the conclusion of this entire scene to the woman, now go live a life free from sin. Go live a life free from sin. These men have come to the temple, come to the church, if you will, and their idea of being free from sin is focusing on sin and calling out people who do have sin because that would be the approach right to deal with sin. I was driving on the freeway the last couple of days and it happened to me twice. I, sorry, I just hit the camera with my foot, my apologies. I was driving on the freeway and I went under two different overpasses on two different freeways um, and here was this banner. And the banner read very simply in big block letters, Jesus or hell? And I thought, I'm sure that person meant well when they put that up. But I am here to say that is not Jesus' approach to sin. If it is, show it to me. Jesus 
does not have the same approach as the religious leaders who want to free you and me from sin by focusing on sin, calling out those with sin, obsessing over sin, ostracizing people with sin, killing people with sin, valuing people based on sin, categorizing which sins are worse. And there you have basically in simple language, the definition of religion. Religion is an obsession with sin, traditions, categories, elitism, exclusivity, and hierarchy. It is using the laws and teachings of Scripture to make ourselves feel better than others. What does Jesus say on sin? Do you see it? Did you catch it? I'll read it again. So Jesus stood up and looked at these men and said, let's, uh, let's do this. Let's have the man who's never had a sinful desire or sin throw the first stone at her. Now, I personally do not believe that it's just this statement that provokes these men to drop their rocks for soon we will see they will exit the scene and they will not kill this woman for her sin. Even though they were right according to the law, they were not of the spirit and heart and approach of Jesus. But I think that when he said those words, I believe that the spirit of God cut them to their heart. And the Bible says from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their rocks and walked away. But I ask again, do you see it? Do you see it? Because there is a complete opposite approach for sin than these religious leaders, than these church leaders, than these preachers. Do you see it? They say, we found someone with a sin, and it's a bad one. It's one of the top sins. It's one of the bad sins. Jesus, what will you say? He says nothing, and they push him. Hey, 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 give us an answer. Give us a reply. Give us a verdict. We're ready to take her life because her sin is worse than our sin. It's one of the bad ones. She definitely doesn't belong in church. Does that sound at all familiar? It is amazing to me in these times how so many of us, we have run screaming the other direction, even at the notion that we may very well have racism in our hearts. Do I think preaching and focusing and obsessing on racism is the power to overcome racism? No, that would be defeating the entire sermon that I am trying to convey and deliver. Why, 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 why are we so repulsed at the concept that just maybe in the midst of this revolution in the United States of America, maybe I might be a culprit in demeaning and demoralizing and marginalizing people, group ba people groups based on their race. I, I would never 
And one of the reasons we have such an aversion to anyone questioning whether or not we have bias or racism or bigotry or prejudice in our heart, because that's one of the big ones in our tradition. Oh, I'm not that bad. Now, uh, manipulating a little bit, exaggerating a little bit, having a little too much to eat or being a little greedy. Ah, come on. Racism? No. Never. And I think one of the reasons we do this is because it indicates for us the human condition. No one ought to feel bad about this. It's just a study of our human plight. We have, in fact, ranked sins and racism is just too high in the ranking to actually own it and be okay with it. So we resist it and we fight it. And we want to say and give reasons why we don't struggle with it. Part of that is because we believe that that is a proper approach to sin. Do you see it? Do you see it? Jesus says, let's do this. Whoever doesn't have sin you throw the first stone. And that's all he says. So the religious leaders are focused on who has sin. Jesus is focused on who doesn't have sin. I'm going to say that again. Jesus on sin. The religious leaders, the church leaders, the preachers, the scholars, they're focused on who has sin. Hey, preachers, we get it. Let me pick on my own kind. We are all busy focused on who has sin. I'd like to suggest we've got to elevate our perspective. We've got to approach sin the same way Jesus does. Jesus' primary focus. I'm not saying he ignores or overlooks sin. Absolutely not. Sin is so serious. He gave himself to become sin. But notice the focus of Jesus. The focus of Jesus is who doesn't have sin. Well, suddenly that becomes a very small group. Uh, it's a group of, well, it's not a group at all, is it? It's, uh, well, who is it? Well, it's just one person. And he's the one speaking. Let's do this, guys. Whoever doesn't have sin, throw the first stone. Now, this we know, those men knew they had sin. And I would like to suggest once again that we know we have error, wrong, selfishness, sin. We, we know we tend to hurt the people we love the most because we think about ourselves. I had to ask for forgiveness today because Chelsea and I got in a fight and I got mad at her and, and, and I, I stormed off and didn't want to talk and I had to come back like six or seven minutes later and be like, will you forgive me? I'm so sorry. Like, I, I know what it is to sin and these men knew they had sin because they were convicted to their core and they dropped their rocks and walked away because they had sin, but they missed the part where they should have said, who doesn't have sin? Isn't that question begging to be asked in our story today here on a Sunday? Who doesn't have sin? That's the question. That's the focus. 
and his name is the man speaking, Jesus. He has no sin. In these stories, in these teachings, in these sermons, and we watch Jesus, I give you a little insight, a little secret. It's always about Jesus. This wasn't about these men. He was trying to get these men to go, wait, what? You said who doesn't have sin? All of us have sinned. Well, that's a great point. And furthermore, you shouldn't be categorizing and ranking your sins and brought this woman in here. You are self-condemning. You are self-sentencing. You are, you are revealing that you, in fact, are hypocrites and you have sin and you want to kill this woman who has sin. But we all have sin. But Jesus says, now, 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 if we are going to throw rocks, the only person that should throw rocks is someone who doesn't have sin. In fact, they don't even have sinful desires. Tempted to sin, but no desire within themselves to do it. Who, who could that be? That is Jesus. Oh, we've got to level the playing field. We are living in such a dynamic world right now. We're living in the information age, a technological age. And as a result, we've got so much data and information and details about sin and about wrong and about error and about pain and about war and about dictatorship and about manipulation and about rulership and about, right? We, we've got all these details. And so it's so easy to, to point across continents and countries and neighborhoods and cities and West Coast and East Coast and the South and the North and the East and the West and who's this and who's that and all the while we have missed we all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard you know where the cancel culture's from the categorization and ranking of sins see I can I can lie to my wife if someone running for political office says a lie, well, that's worse. And you should be canceled. Oh, the hypocrisy of 2020. What does Jesus have to say about our selfishness, our error, and our wrong? Here's how Jesus handles the cancel culture. He says, that's fine. Whoever is without sin, you cancel people. But do you know what this entire story is about? This story is telling you and me something so powerful, potent, and so important. Please hear me as I close and conclude. This story is telling us that the only man, fully God, fully man, Jesus, who has no sin nor sinful desires. He literally is the only person on the planet who can cancel or cast stones. And I got good news. He won't. And he does not. The Bible says they dropped their rocks and walked away. And now the woman is standing there, probably head still hanging low. Jesus still bent over and riding in the dirt. Suddenly the camera zooms in, if you will, and it's gotten 
incredibly quiet in our scene and Jesus stands up doing what only Jesus can do. He cleared the room, if you will, for the broken, hurting woman who had been humiliated. And yet the accusation was accurate. She had sinned. She had done wrong. They were right. Jesus says, where are your accusers? It's as if the text alludes to the fact that she probably is wiping her tears and she She looks around and she realizes the men who are carrying out her sentence of death are gone. Please hear me, only Jesus can do this. Only Jesus can do this for you. Only Jesus can forgive you of your error, your wrong, and your sin. Only Jesus can clear the room of your soul that's full of condemning voices telling you that you are what you've done and you won't change. And COVID just keeps telling you in your home, see, this is who you really are. And then preachers like me come along and we focus on sin and it compounds the problem and the self-focus and we fester with shame and guilt on the inside, but only Jesus. See, this is what Jesus does with your sin from the oldest to the youngest. That's right. From the oldest sin you can remember to the newest sin you have committed, Jesus forgives. Woman looks up and she says, everyone's gone. And Jesus says, well, I certainly don't condemn you either. Go from now on. Please hear me. I'm done. And be free from the life of sin. Do you know what produces freedom from racism? Freedom from cancel culture? Freedom from condemnation? Freedom from lying and cheating? and greed, and envy, and jealousy, and strife, and self-centeredness. These things that are debilitating in the human experience. The power, I got, got a little loud there. The power to overcome sin is not focusing on sin. Let us shift our focus now. It's focusing on who has no sin. I'll say it one more time. The religious leaders come focused on who has the sin. Jesus is focused on who has no sin. It's about him. And that's where the power is. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith, divine persuasion, our trust in Jesus. We overcome sin by Jesus. We overcome racism with Jesus. We overcome sin with the power of the deliverer and the savior of the world, and his name is Jesus. What if you, I'll read it one more time, what if you could be 
free from a life of sin. What that means is a lifestyle of preparing and planning to sin. We're going to err. We're going to sin. Jesus comes to set us free from a lifestyle that is doomed to simply just keep sinning, hurting ourselves and hurting others. Jesus is the hope. Jesus is the way. Why? Because he's the one without sin. So he became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. In other words, so that we could become right in our relationship with God who is holy and perfect. Jesus does that. So yes, yes, church home, what an opportunity we have in the midst of a national revolution to see progress, to see dignity, to see equality, to see diversity, to eradicate the sin of racism. But it will not happen merely by the efforts and systems, traditions, and approaches of men and women who seek to focus on those who have sin. I choose to focus on the one person who has no sin, for he has the power to not only forgive, but set our life in a new motion. Our life is no longer defined by sin. Sin no longer plays a role in my relationship with Jesus. I am free. Your life is no longer defined by the sin you have. Your life is defined by the one who has no sin. And he is your savior and he can be your savior today. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for the minutes and moments we share as a community. And I know that you're speaking to us. You're helping us. I sense your presence right now during this sermon. And I say, thank you. I love you. I love you. If you're here in this moment right now watching, you say, Judah, I would like to become a follower of Jesus. All it takes is one moment of receptivity and faith. Right now, if you would like to receive the free gift of Jesus, the free gift of forgiveness that only Jesus offers because he has no sin. And so then he became sin. We change places. The sinner becomes right. And the sinless Savior pays the penalty for our sin. Was in the grave for three days, rose up, resurrected to declare that everything he said about himself is true. He's the only one with the power to forgive and set free from sin. And if you just raise your hand right now in a moment of receptivity and say, I believe or I receive the forgiveness of Jesus, you are forgiven forever. And I want to say to you, sir, to you, ma'am, congratulations. And thank you for making the most important decision of your life. I love you, church home. I think of so many extraordinary things that are happening in our community. And I hope on this Sunday, you find strength and encouragement, not from mere content or concepts, but from the living savior of the universe, whose name is Jesus. I love you. Don't forget right after this, we're going to have a time of using music as a connection point with God. 
We have a pastor chat that's available for you right after this is a digital hangout. We would love to serve you and connect with you. Hey, if you've made the decision to receive Jesus, please let us know wherever you are in the world and how we can serve you. I love you, church home. Happy Sunday. I'll see you on Wednesday.